Well, I hope you had a great Christmas and Happy New Year's a bit in advance. As we look forward to 2014, I wanna share a few things with you. First, our whole staff is going to fast again this year for 21 days. Each year, we take the first 21 days of the year and we deny ourselves some type of physical food so spiritually we can feed on a heavenly food as we seek God passionately together as a staff. In fact, I'm always blessed when many of you want to join with us fasting for 21 days to seek God in a very special way in the first of the year. Also, every year for the past, I don't know, 15 years or so, I've read through the Bible from front to back. And this year, I'm inviting you to join with me and thousands of other people around the world to read through the Bible together on the YouVersion Bible app. Your campus pastor can tell you more about how to do that, and I would love it if you would join me and together we'll read through the entire Bible in 2014. Now, as you're thinking about what changes you're going to make in the upcoming year, I wanna tell you about our upcoming series starting next week because I believe with all my heart that what God is gonna do in the lives of people through this series will be unparalleled to help propel you into God's perfect will for your life. The series is called Small Things, Big Difference. So many people think it's the big things in life that make the biggest difference, when in reality, it's often the small things that few people see that result in the big things that everyone wants. We're gonna talk about our thoughts, our words, and our actions. It starts next week, it's called Small Things, Big Difference. Welcome today to all of our Life Church campuses, our network churches, and those of you joining us from countries around the world. I got to tell you, you're going to be blown away and blessed today because I have one of the finest guest speakers in the whole world who's going to minister to you today. I want to tell you about Christine Kane, and then you're going to get a chance to go crazy. Christine is one of our closest friends. She and Nick are very dear to both Amy and to me. We love them more than I can tell you. They are from Hillsong Church based out of Sydney, Australia, but you cannot contain Hillsong Church because they are all over the world. Christine is one of the finest evangelists I know. She's one of the greatest teachers on leadership I know. She's an amazing author. You've got to pick up her book, Undaunted. If you haven't read it, you're missing out. She is the founder of A21, a ministry that we support and we love that helps rescue people from human trafficking. The chick can preach like nobody's business. Would you please join me in giving her a warm LifeChurch.tv welcome? Please welcome Christine Kane. Thank you, Pastor Craig. How excited am I to be here? What an honor. Thank you, Pastor Craig and Amy. Nick and I love you guys so much. And this is home away from home, y'all. And um, I know I'm talking to all the life churches, all our network churches, all the churches and people watching this around the world. But they tell me that you all say you're all here. And um, I'm from Australia where we speak the Queen's English. We say awesome. And um, I don't know, whatever location you're in, you all need to say awesome. Everyone say awesome. See, that sounds very dignified. Now, if you're from America, you need to say it like an American. Say awesome. awesome. 
Can you just tell there's a slight difference there? We say awesome and you say awesome. And, um, you know, I just want to echo everything that Pastor Craig said. Uh, we are like family. Um, I'm part of Hillsong, although I don't sing. People get very disappointed. They think if a chick gets up from Hillsong, she's going to start singing Shout to the Lord. But if I <laughs> sing Shout to the Lord, you'll all cry to the Lord. So that isn't going to happen. And um, we've been part of the leadership team at Hillsong Church for 25 years. And so really since I was one year old. And um, it's just... <laughs> continued. Nick and I have been married for 18 years. We have two beautiful daughters, Catherine Bobby and Sophia Joyce. And whenever I'm around Pastor Craig and Amy, I feel like I need to say they are the alpha and omega. I've got the beginning and the end. We only have two. We don't do six. And so that's kind of how it works, my part of the world. I'm going to jump right into the text today. I'm just like family, so I'm just an extended part of your global teaching team. So if you would turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter six. I'm both Greek and a woman, so I only speak three ways, hard, fast, and continuously. So you will not fall asleep um, and you better listen fast. So the Bible says in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. They're obviously not from Oklahoma City. But anyway, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and go to the Jerusalem food court and buy some hummus. I'm actually just checking if anyone is following the text with me. It's just how I sort of have a look. It is in the original Greek. I did check, but, you know, you can do your own research. And so it says um, in verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. Everyone say broken pieces. Broken pieces. Of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake, as you would. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and he said, take courage at his eye, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Here in this text, we have two very familiar stories that many of us, if I guess you've been in church life at all, and even if you haven't, have come across a story of, of Jesus multiplying the fish and loaves and Jesus walking on water. And normally we would teach this as two separate stories. But I don't think you could separate verse 30 
from verse 52 because the story starts before the story and ends after the story, as is often the case. We start up on a mountainside and the Bible says that the disciples had been teaching all day and they came back to Jesus and they gave an account of everything they had done and taught. No one can just go and teach whatever they want to teach. They've got to come back and give an account to authority and leadership. This is what I've been teaching. Is it all okay? And so they were hungry. There's nothing ever incidental in the text that tells us that the disciples had not eaten. So they were really, really hungry. Jesus said, we need a break. We need a rest. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go over to the other side and we're going to have a little break. Now, something interesting happens. Before Twitter, before Facebook, before Fox News, before CNN, before Global Satellites, before LifeChurch.tv, because you're everywhere, it's a little bit like God, you're just omnipresent. And so before all of that, something happened where a crowd got there on foot before Jesus ever got there in a boat. There was obviously something so compelling, something so magnetic, something so attractional about this man, Jesus, that people would end up getting somewhere before he ever got there. They didn't come after the fourth worship song. They were there before he ever got there waiting to hear from Jesus. It's taught me that when Jesus is in the house, You can't keep people away. People don't care how far they're going to park away from the building. They don't care what seat they're going to get in. They just want to get there and listen to Jesus. So Jesus begins to teach. Now the disciples are already freaking out because they know when this guy starts talking, that he doesn't stop. And they're thinking, you know, we've never really understood much of any of the other parables he's ever talked about. So we need to tell him that the Jerusalem food court's going to close down because we are hungry. And this is what leaders often do. When they have a problem and they're hungry, they go to the leader leader and they say, "Um, it's the people's fault. The people are hungry. Nowhere in the text does it say the people are hungry, but we know that the disciples have not yet eaten. So they go and blame the people for what they really want. They want Jesus to be quiet so that they can go and eat. And so they say the people are really hungry. And so this is what Jesus does, because every time he's getting ready to do a miracle and he prepares to do a miracle, he starts right here. He says, well, you give them something to eat. And they sit there and they think, like many of us, we go to Jesus with a prayer request and we pray about something and we don't realize that we are the answer to our own prayer. So Jesus says, you do something about it. Now, what we think he has said is, why can't you do anything about it? We obviously misheard him and we begin to give him a list of reasons of why we can't. The disciples start saying, this is going to take eight months of a man's salary. We don't have enough food. You know, my mother didn't pack an extra lunch for 5,000 people. There is no way that we're going to be able to feed them. And so they begin to give Jesus a list of why not. So often we do that. I remember when We had a sense, Nick and I, to start the A21 campaign. Now, we were living in Australia. We had just had our second born. I was 41 years old, and we already were traveling around the world and and helping to build churches, and we were the network pastors for the Hillsong Church. And so we had a lot going on. And I remember when there was this sense that, Christine, I want you to do something about it. You do something about helping to rescue um, people from human trafficking. I remember going to God, but God, I can't. But God, I'm a woman. But God, I'm 41. But God, I've just had a newborn baby. But God, I live in Sydney, Australia. Do you know how far that is from Europe? And, and I could imagine God's in heaven going, you know, I didn't know she was a chick. Gabriel, did you, did you know that she was a woman? Wow. Did anyone know Chris had a baby? Did we miss the shower? Did we miss the baby shower in heaven? I've got no idea. Um, does anyone know where Australia is relative to Greece? Could someone bring me a GPS? Could someone, Peter, get me a map book? You know, God, I don't have a spare $10 million to run there. Well, you know, and God, Greece is single-handedly about to bankrupt the whole planet. You're welcome. And so that's where you want us to start. 
And I imagine God's in heaven. Oh my God, no, I am God. I'm having an existential crisis, all three of me. I'm having a crisis up here economically. What am I going to do? Did you all know that Wall Street was about to have a schizophrenic attack? I don't know who Mr. Dow Jones is, but he's down three points one day, up four points the next. I really don't know what's... But this is God. This is God who woke up one day, burped, went, earth, oops, look what I did. That's God. He is still in control. Whatever is happening politically, socially, morally, economically, personally, God is still on the throne. He is still sovereign. And He is still God. So I said, but God... But God, I can't. And God's kind of rolling his eyes going, I never even asked you if you could or you couldn't. It wasn't a question. I said, you give them something to eat. So then as God stops listening, I love this with Jesus. He, he listens to them, give their excuses, why not? And then in verse 38, he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. It's almost like he didn't even listen to all their excuses, why not? He says, how many do you have? Go and see. He sent them back into the crowd to go and see what they do have because the ingredients for a miracle are always in our midst. We always have the ingredients for a miracle. It's just that they're in seed form and we devalue the seed because it doesn't look like the harvest. And so we think we have nothing to work with. But Jesus cannot multiply what we do not recognise. So he says, go and have a look. So he sends them to the crowd to have a look. Because the ingredients are in there. Now they go around looking. Now the text has told us in verse 38 that that day there were 5,000 men counted. Because in that time in history, that's how you counted. You counted according to the men. But theologians and historians would say, if, if you accurately counted women and children, and the other Gospels record besides women and children, if you include women and children, which I love to do, I am a woman, I was a child. So if you include those, they say it would not be unrealistic to say there was at least 15,000 people on that mountainside. So they go in and begin to look amongst 15,000 people and one little boy gives his five loaves, his, his five pieces of Ezekiel bread, his two little anchovies, that's all he has. He gives it up. Do you think in a crowd of 15,000 that there was only one little boy with a packed lunch? Oh, I guarantee you there were more packed lunches that day. But this is what happens and it happens to us in church every week and it happens to us in life that we see the magnitude of the problem, that the disciples went around the crowd and they said, anyone got a lunch? We've got to feed 15,000 people. Jesus isn't going to stop until we feed everyone and there's a crowd of 15,000. Who's got a spare lunch for 15,000? What we do is we look at the enormity and the magnitude of the problem. And we think, because I can't do everything, I'll do nothing instead of the one thing that would activate something. Jesus never asks us to do everything. Every week when our pastor stands up and tells us to bring the tithe into the storehouse, he's not asking any one person to do everything, but God's commanding all of us to do the one thing that we can all do, which is bring our tithe into the storehouse. When we have a need, we're not asked to do everything. When, when it came to helping to rescue 27 million slaves, God wasn't asking us to do it all. But he said, what's the one thing that you do have? And if you give me that one thing, I'll be able to do something absolutely miraculous with it, Christine. But I need the one thing. So that little boy gave it. Now, did you notice who gave the ingredients for a miracle that I'm talking about today? It's quite fascinating to me that it was the little boy that was uncounted that provided the, the ingredients for the miracle that counted. The text tells us that there were 5,000 men counted that day. So a little boy who was not counted. And the thing that I've discovered, church, 
is that it's always the ones that everybody else discounts. It's the ones that everyone else thinks doesn't count. It's the ones that everyone else thinks your life will never amount to anything. You are not educated enough. You're not talented enough. You're not gifted enough. You're not smart enough. You're not resourced enough. Everyone else discounts us. You are not a celebrity enough. You don't know the right people. Jesus says, I might just be able to use that person that everybody else has discounted, the one that society thinks doesn't count because I know that I'll get glory from that life because everyone will know that they could never have done it in their life. God always takes the ones that everyone else discounts. You know who packed his lunch that day? I promise you, if you know anything about society at this time, it was not his father. His mother packed his lunch. Do you think when that woman got up that day and packed some anchovies and some Ezekiel bread, she thought she was doing anything that was world-changing? Yet she was packing the ingredients for a miracle in that little boy's lunch that I would be talking about 2,000 years later. I don't know, every day when you're driving your kids to school, you perhaps could be homeschooling your kids. You could be the cool house where all the kids come over after school and you're speaking life instead of death over those young people. Often when you think what you're doing is insignificant, your job doesn't matter, your life doesn't matter, I want you to know that everything you do, everything you say, everything you think contains the ingredients of a miracle that can change generations. Don't devalue the smallness of the seed that you have. Don't ever, ever devalue it. And so we start. And then what do they do? They bring it to Jesus. Now, could you imagine their frustration when they brought that to Jesus? Five loaves and two. I could imagine them, especially Peter. See, Jesus, I told you, these people are really stingy. We should have sent them to the mall. Because Jesus, if you did what, if you did what we said, everyone wouldn't be here hungry anymore. Because now, Jesus, it's impossible. Now, Jesus, all you've got is five loaves and two fish. Why didn't you do what we said? And how often are we like that with God? We bring the small thing to Him where the situation is impossible and we think the impossibility excludes God from having any ability to do anything. But God does not even turn up until it's impossible. You don't need God while it's still possible. While you are smart enough, while you are resourced enough, while you are gifted enough, while you are talented enough, why do you need God? In fact, for many of the things that we ask the Lord's help for, the things that we say, I want a miracle for, they're not miracle issues, they're management issues. Most of us say, Jesus, I, oh, you know, I need a financial miracle. No, honey, you just need to stop spending more than you earn. Very simple. That's it. And then God could turn up for the financial miracle. Jesus, I, I need a health miracle. No, you just need to stop eating the Krispy Kremes and get on the treadmill. And you know what? Now it's very quiet. <laughs> so a lot of what we're asking miracles for, we're not even in the miracle zone yet because God says, oh no, that's in the management zone. You can do that yourself. I'm not even turning up till we need the miracle. I'm not even turning up till we need the miracle. So impossible is where God starts. We think the impossibility of a circumstance disqualifies God from being able to do anything when that's what makes Him God. God is not limited to our time and space continuum. God is supernatural. God turns up when everything else has been exhausted. I don't know what your need might be today. You might have a physical need, a financial need, an emotional need, a relational need. And in the natural, it seems like it's impossible. There is no way forward. I want you to know you're poised for a miracle today. That's where Jesus turns up. Impossible is where he begins. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. With God, all things are possible and nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. So he begins. And do you see what he does next? They bring him five loaves and two fishes. And the Bible says he gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks for what would never be enough. 
He began to bless what was not enough. How often do we, instead of bless our not enough, curse our not enough? I I hate this house. I hate my boss. I hate my job. I can't stand my marriage. My kids are just losers. It's amazing to me how when we are disillusioned or we're disappointed or we're discouraged because things haven't worked out how we wanted and we feel that God didn't come through in our timing or God didn't come through in the way we wanted Him to come through, we begin to murmur, grumble and complain and curse the very things that contain an ingredient for a miracle. And God says, you know what? Why don't you begin to bless your not enough instead of curse it? Do you know how your whole year would change? If you began to change your confession, instead of going, I hate this house, you could begin to just say, you know what, this might not be where we are ultimately going to end up living, but I thank God right now we've got a roof over our head. This may not be the job that I want in the long term, but I thank God right now we've got some food on the table. Maybe my marriage isn't where I want it to be, but I thank God right now that we're both working on this thing. Maybe my kids are not serving the Lord in the way that I'm believing God that they will, but I thank God that the hound of heaven is chasing them down and they're going to end up back in the house of God and they're going to be serving God. How much... Would our lives change if we began to bless and not curse? Because we expect God to bless what we curse. And Jesus began by blessing what was never going to be enough, knowing that if you bring your not enough into the hands of a God that is more than enough, He will do such a miracle. He blessed it, what was never going to be enough. And then did you see what happened? The miracle of multiplication did not happen until He broke it. The miracle is in the breaking. While Jesus kept breaking, the miracle kept multiplying. I don't know if there's anyone in this room besides me that knows what it is to be broken. I don't know if anyone's ever had a broken heart, if anyone's ever come from a broken family, if anyone's ever had a broken body, if anyone's ever had broken finances or broken relationships or a broken life. And so often we think that brokenness disqualifies us from the purposes of God and from what it is that God wants us to, wants to do with our lives. We think, well, God can't use me. I was abused. Or God can't use me because I'm divorced. Or God can't use me because I committed just such great sins in my past. And what we try to do through our shame and our guilt and condemnation that the enemy heaps on us, we try to hide those broken places. We try to hide those scars. We try to hide it all and think, you know what? If I could just wear some sort of mask and just get through this thing called life, I wish God could use me, but He can't because I'm so broken. But I want to tell you today that it's from those broken places that you are qualified to be used by God. It's not from my strengths that God is using me to make a difference in the world. It's from those broken places. It was the child that was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted when I was born. The girl that was sexually abused for 12 years at the hands of four men. The girl that, blew up, that grew up in the poorest local government area in, in my state, in Australia, where I grew up. The marginalised ethnic migrant, second generation Greek girl, so marginalised because of my ethnicity and my gender. It's that girl that God took all those broken pieces, adoption and abuse and poverty and said, you know what, Chris, what happened to you isn't good. And the enemy tried to still kill and destroy your life. But if you allow me to, I will take all those broken fragments of your life and I will weave them together and I will work together for good, the things that the enemy meant for evil. And God has woven them all together. And God has taken an unnamed, unwanted, abused, adopted girl and not only rescued me, 
but He's now using me to rescue others that are bound in sex slavery. It would be just like God. I feel like Joseph today, where I stand in front of, he stood in front of his brothers and he said, you know what, you meant this as evil against me, but God meant it for this very purpose, to save many people alive. And church, I wanna tell you, the thing that you thought was gonna kill you, the thing that you thought you would never recover from, God could never use you in business again. He could never use you relationally again. That's the very thing that God wants to turn around and redeem for His glory. The enemy wants you to think it's all over. But let me tell you this, some of you have been struggling, you've been fighting, you've had a really hard year. But I want to remind you that the devil on his best day didn't take you out on your worst day. You are still here, you are still fighting, there is still life, there is still a future. There is still a future while you're still breathing and God can redeem every broken piece of your past. And He can help to give someone else a future through your past. So Jesus broke it and the Scripture tells us that while He broke it, it continued to multiply. And then I love this part of the text. It says they all ate and they were all satisfied. And normally we end here. And then we come back next week to church and we think, awesome, I was filled last week. Jesus, I need you to fill me again. But in the day and the hour in which we live in the church, it's not enough just to live miracle to miracle. It's not enough. Because it's what happens between the miracles that is really going to determine the, the, the strength of our Christian walk in the day and the age in which we live. So Jesus finishes that miracle and then He says to the disciples, I want you to go and gather 12 basketfuls, which is like a sack over your shoulder, of the broken pieces. There was exactly 12 basketfuls left over. It's not an accident. 12 basketfuls, 12 disciples. So he said, I want you to go and get a basketful each. And then the Bible tells us that he immediately sent them into a storm. This is an omniscient God. He knew where he was sending them. Not all storms are from the devil. Sometimes God allows us to go into a storm because he wants to reveal to us what is already inside of us. We often don't know. We think we believe one thing and it's a storm in life that will reveal to us what we really believe. And so what happened at this part of the Gospels, Jesus, this is the first mass miracle that Jesus had done. Up until now, he's doing one-on-one -on -one and the disciples still don't know the identity of Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. They know him as a miracle worker. They know him as a teacher. They know him as a prophet. But they don't know him as Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And it is interesting to me that you can sit in church week after week and you can sit in the midst of miracles of God. And what's happening through this ministry and through this church across the world is nothing short of a modern day sign and wonder and miracle. Nothing short of that. But you can be in the midst of all of that and you can see the miracles of God and hundreds of millions of you versions being downloaded and campuses exploding all around the place through this wonderful ministry. And you can see that influence and you can be sitting in it and you can see the miracle, you can partake of the miracle and you can know all about the miracles of God and not have yet met the God of the miracles. And so Jesus is saying, it's not enough that you just know about my works and my acts. You have got to know me. And I want to know if you know me. So he sends them into a storm. It's the best way to find that out. And he goes up to a mountain to pray. And you think, why? Well, because now his ministry is about to blow up from this point on in the text. Jesus' ministry through the Gospels is going to blow up because the ingredients of the miracle are sitting in the stomachs of 15,000 people. And they're going to go home to their villages and tell everybody about what he just did. 
And if your ministry is about to blow up to that extent, you better get on your face on a mountain before God and start praying. So he's praying and the Bible says now it's about the fourth watch of the night, which takes us to about three o'clock in the morning. So at three o'clock in the morning, he's praying. Then he looks out and the disciples, the scripture says the storm started. They're straining at the oars, which means they're freaking out massively. So they're freaking out. It's dark. They are wondering where Jesus is. I don't know if you've ever been like that. You could have been in an awesome church meeting. And then just hours later, you're wondering, why has God forsaken me? Why am I out in this storm? Why am I here? Now it's Wednesday and Sunday, Pastor Craig said everything was going to be awesome. And now it's Wednesday. And look at my marriage and look at my finances and look at my health and look at my children. And I'm in this storm. And you're wondering where God is. I don't know if anyone besides me has ever been there. Where where are you, God? Where are you? It seems so dark and it seems so dangerous. The interesting thing is Jesus could see them. He could see. He knows where you're at right at this moment, wherever you are listening to this. He knows exactly what's going on. And this is the great thing. It's a perk of being God. He can be with you right in the middle of that storm while he's coming to you to deliver you from the storm. That's what happens when you're God. And so what they didn't realize was that he had asked them to take the broken pieces with them into the boat. And essentially what he was saying, did you ever wonder why broken pieces, why scraps, why fragments? Why, why couldn't you do the miracle again on the other side? Why fish heads? Why fish bones? Why breadcrumbs? Because this is what Jesus was essentially saying to them. I want each of you to take evidence of this miracle today into the storm of tomorrow. Because I want you to remember that the same God that just did that miracle for you on the mountain is the same God that's going to be with you in this boat, is the same God that's going to take you to the other side. You were never gifted. You were never talented. You were never smart enough to do this in your own strength anyway. You've actually never had anything more than five loaves and two fishes. And the same God that did the miracle for you back then is the same God that'll do the miracle for you in the middle of the storm. It doesn't matter what's happening politically. It doesn't matter what's happening socially. It doesn't matter what's happening economically. It doesn't matter. What happens with us is the minute we come out of a miracle and we see a negative news report and we see something negative is happening in Wall Street or something negative is happening politically or we look at all the disasters happening around us, we begin to panic as if somehow God fell off the throne. And God's saying, when did you ever think you had enough money in the first place? When did you ever think you had enough gift in the first place? It always was God. It always will be God. It always was Christ alone. It always will be Christ alone. It doesn't matter. You know, a lot of us, we get good with now. We get confident with where we are now. And we forget about back then. When the enemy comes to torment me, I don't start telling him about, oh, I run this global anti-human trafficking organisation now. I speak around the world now because this can all change. Governments can change policies and A21 can shut down. People can stop inviting me. No, I don't talk to him about now. That's not where my confidence is. I go back to then. That girl that was in a hospital, unnamed and unwanted, the same God that kept me alive then is the same God that's with me now. That kid that was abused all those years, the same God that somehow protected me in the midst of all of that. He was with me then. He's with me now. The same kid that used to speak to 20 kids in the backside of nowhere in Australia. The same God that plucked me out of anonymity and obscurity then is the same God that's with me now. It always was Jesus. It always will be Jesus. Whatever is before me, it always was Him. And He's doing what He's always done. 
He's continuing to build His church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. Whatever happens economically, politically, morally, socially, environmentally, Jesus is doing what He's always done. He's building His church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God, ever. He's doing what He's always done. So He goes out to the disciples and they're freaking out. And this is what happens when you get your eyes off your fragments of your broken pieces and you get your eyes on the wind and the waves. What happens is Jesus can come out to you, the same Jesus that was on the mountain with you doing miracles all the day before, and you don't even recognize him because Jesus uses the storms of life to reveal a different aspect of himself to us. They knew the Jesus that did the fish and loaves. They didn't know the Jesus that walked on water. I don't know what miracle you might need right now, But Jesus is coming in a new form, in a new way to do a new thing in your life. Don't box him back in what he used to do in the way that he used to do it. Allow room for him to come in a different way to deliver you from this storm. You don't need the Jesus that multiplies the fish and loaves when you're in a storm in the middle of an ocean. You need a Jesus that walks on water. Don't think that the very God that's coming to deliver you is the God that's coming to destroy you. He's actually coming to you in a different form. He gets in the boat. And the disciples look at him and the Bible says he's disappointed, not because they were scared in the storm, but because they had not understood the miracle of the loaves and fishes. I wonder, friend, if you're someone that's been sitting in church for today's your first day or perhaps weeks, months or years, and you've known the God of, you've known the miracles of God. You've seen signs and wonders and you've watched God do amazing things in your midst. Let's never be a church that just knows the miracles of God. Let's be a church that is intimately acquainted with the God of the miracles in Jesus' name. Well, as I told you, we're very blessed to hear from Christine Kane today. And I know that God used that message to speak to so many of you. So at all of our churches, if you would take a moment, let's all join our hearts together in prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message that you custom designed for all of us to hear today, to minister to us. And God, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would do a deep and a healing ministry work in our hearts right now, even as we seek you, God, in prayer. As you take a moment at all of our different churches, nobody looking around right now, I just wanted to speak to you um, off of this powerful message that Christine shared with us today. And I, I wonder how many of you right now in your life, you're experiencing some personal brokenness right now. It may be financial, it may be physical, it may be relational brokenness in in your own life. It may be the brokenness of a dream. It could be spiritual brokenness where you're even hurting right now spiritually. And you'd say, Craig, would you pray that God would take these broken pieces and take what the enemy meant for evil and that God would use it for good. And all of our churches, those of you who would say, yes, I am right now hurting with some area of brokenness in my life and I really need a touch from God. Would you just lift up your hands right now? Just all of our different churches, our network churches, those of you at church online, just indicate by clicking right below me. God, I I thank you for your presence and God that you know the intimate details of every hurt, every wound, every broken part of all of our lives. And God, I thank you that you are a God of restoration, that God, you are a God of healing, and that you know how to take what is broken and make it whole and even better than new. 
God, I pray today that we would truly have faith to look beyond our situation and look to you. And God, we do pray for miracles. We pray that Jesus, who starts with the impossible, would do what we would say is impossible, God, that we would have hope that you can do all things, that you're a miraculous God. And God, even by faith, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. You may do exactly what we hope you'll do. You may do something different than we hope you do. But God, we know that you will do exactly what is best for us and the best bring glory to your name. So God, we say we trust you. And God, we believe that you will work in our lives. As you keep praying today at all of our different churches without anybody looking around, Christine really had a powerful moment when she said, you can be in church, you can be around the things of God, you can even know a lot about God, but you may not know him. And I'm absolutely convinced that there are many of you that God brought here for this very specific moment. Because you may recognize you've got a head knowledge of him, but you do not have a heart relationship with him. And the bottom line is, I'm convinced with all my heart that there are times when God even allows us to be totally broken and be, be at the lowest place in our life where we have nowhere else to look but toward him, to look up to him because he loves us enough to let anything happen to draw us into a relationship with him. And the bottom line is, if I can say it bluntly, is we're all broken. We've all sinned and fallen short of his perfect standard. And there are, are, are all of you, you'd have to recognize that even in your own life and say, yes, I've messed up. I don't feel worthy. I'm not good enough. And the reality is none of us are good enough. And that's why the miracle of salvation available to us through God's son, Jesus, is the good news. And frankly, that's why many of you are here today and you're starting to realize it, that God loves you so much that he did for you what you were incapable of doing for yourself. He sent his son Jesus, who was without sin, to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead so that anyone, and that includes you, who calls on his name would be saved, forgiven, and transformed by his power. At all of our churches, those of you who would say, yes, I'm broken, yes, I'm a sinner, and yes, I need a Savior. Today I turn from my sins, and I turn toward him. I need Jesus. That's your prayer today. Would you lift your hands high right now, all over the place? Lift them and say, yes, that's my prayer. Those of you at church online, you click right below me. And as there are hands going up at all these churches across the world, would you join those around you and pray this simple prayer? Nobody prays alone. Pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me, and he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. At all of our churches, would you go crazy? Would you worship God? Would you welcome those born into the family of God today?